Okay, we're learning Dav Chav Beis, and uh, we're starting from three lines down. Amr Lo Zulo Shamati, but we're in the middle of Ula Barav's Shaila. So let's just recap the question so we can proceed to the answer. The parsha of Rosh Chodesh um, is read. It has a selection first of eight psukim discussing the carbon atonement. That's one paragraph. Two psukim that discuss Shabbos, the carbon Musaf Shabbos. That's two psukim, and then we have an additional five psukim that discuss the Musaf of Rosh Chodesh. Now those, that's a total, so again, it's eight, two, and five, that's a total of 15, as we've broken into, um, as we've broken down into four aliyahs. The problem is that we have a couple rules. We have to have, an, every aliyah has to have three psokim, and you're not allowed to end an aliyah within the end of a paragraph, within three psokim the end of a paragraph. We'll see why today. You're also not allowed to end an aliyah within the, free, the first three psokim of the paragraph. So therefore, the Gemara wants to know, what do you do if you're gonna have the first two aliyos have three eight psukim each from the from the carbon tamid, then you're gonna be ending with two psukim left in that paragraph. If you're gonna have the first two aliyos four and four, so then what are we gonna do for the third aliyah? If we're gonna have the two of Shabbos and only one of Rosh Chodesh, then you're ending an aliyah within the first three psukim of a paragraph of Rosh Chodesh. And if you're gonna take three psukim from the parsha of Rosh Chodesh as well, so the third aliyah will have five psukim, two of Shabbos, three of Rosh Chodesh, there will only be two psukim which will remain. So how are we going to make four aliyos for Rosh Chodesh? So three lines down, Chav Beis, but Aleph says the Gemara, Amalo. Rava answered, Zulo Shamati. I actually didn't hear this exact question. However, Shamati, I heard something similar, and this takes us back to Mesachas Tainas. Mesachas Tainas, we learned about the Ma'amados. The Ma'amados, there was a uh, rotation where everybody would stand, there, would stand either in their hometowns or in Yerushalayim, and they would be davening for the Kabanos, right? The idea was that how could a carbon be brought when, when the owner is not present? So when the carbon tummit is brought, everybody has to be present. How does that work? Everybody practically is not there. The answer is there's representatives from the community on a rotating basis who would be davening on, the, on, on behalf of the carbonists. So they used to have a special service with a special kriyasotor, and the kriyasotor used to be from Sefer Bereshis. Sefer Bereshis, the Gemara and Tainus explained, because carbonists keep the world going. So it said in the Mishnah, on the first day, on Sunday, they would read the, the parsha, the paragraph of Bereshis, right? And by Yerikiah, the first paragraph, which starts with Bereshis, is divided by two Elios. And the next paragraph of Yerikiah is divided <coughs> with, uh, by, is not divided at all. It's only one Elio. So the first paragraph, Bereshis, has two Elios. Yerikiah is the third Elios. We have Avina, but when we learned Titus, we had a question. The parsha, the second paragraph there, Yerikiah is exactly three psukim, which is perfect. That's the minimum amount for one person. Everything's good. El Bereshis Bishnayim, how are we going to have that the first paragraph of Bereshis is read by two people? Chamisha Psukahabit. There's only five psukim in that paragraph. So basically, our question is that it says that there are two halios that are come from the paragraph of the opening paragraph of the Torah of Bereshis, and there's only five psukim. We know in the bright side, we're not allowed to have less than three psukim per aliyah. So how could two aliyahs um, work for a five pasuk paragraph? It's by Allah. When we learn Tainus, we give two answers. Rav Rav said that you should repeat a pasuk. So meaning the first aliyah reads three psukim. The second aliyah doesn't start where the first aliyah finished. The second aliyah goes back and repeats the last pasuk of the first aliyah, meaning it repeats pasuk gimel. So the first aliyah reads Aleph, Beis, and Gimel, and the second aliyah reads Gimel, Dalit, and Hey. Shmuel Amar Posek. Shmuel says we split 
meaning that you take the third Pasuk, you divide it in half. The first half of the Pasuk is read by the first Aliyah, and the second half of the Pasuk is read by the second Aliyah. Now the Gemara says, why did they each not say like each other? Rav says that the second Aliyah goes back. Why didn't he say to split the middle Pasuk? Very interesting rule. They were not allowed to break up Sukkim and read them differently from the Torah in a way differently than it was taught by Moshe Rabbeinu. Everything, the, the, the idea of the end of Sukkim, where Pasuk ends and Pasuk starts, is very beginning. That's sacred, it's from Moshe. So we can't read it differently. So you want to make a solution, Shmuel, where you, you chop up the third Pasuk and put the first half with the, with the first Aliyah and the second half with the second Aliyah. You can't do that. That's a violation of the rule that we don't divide Sukkim differently than the way Moshe divided them. Says the Gemara Taka, that's such a good question. Shmuel Amar Paskin Shmuel just disregards that rule and he says, split it up. We know it from Hananya, who was an expert in Sukkim. I once had a lot of pain by Rabchanina Gadol. In other words, he wanted there to be a hetter. Um, and the idea was that uh, he was a teacher. And he wanted a header to divide the psukim in two to make it easier for the children. He gave me a header specifically for the children because for a child learning, it's hard for them to get the whole pasuk at once. All the Islam and the whole thing is just to be taught. So in other words, you don't have a header. You're never allowed to teach it differently. However, since it was, it was a special so extenuating circumstance to teach the school children, so there it was allowed. So our question is that this is something very basic rule. We can't say Shmuel just you know, doesn't hold of this rule. So how, in fact, the Gemara is asking, how in fact does Shmuel allow us to break up the, second, the third Pasuk into two and give one part to the first Aliyah and the second part to the second Aliyah? How, in fact, are you allowed to do that? Isn't there a rule you're not allowed to divide up Sukkim? So the Gemara answers, but look, we gave, we gave a hatzer for the school children. How some time am I? What was the reason for the hatzer for the children? It wasn't possible to teach them a different way. So the rule is just saying, ideally do it this way. But in an extenuating circumstance, evidently it's permitted. So in the case by the Mamados, we didn't have another possibility to divide the Torah, to divide the, the Aliyos without splitting up the Pasuk. Therefore, it is mutter. So, very good. Now we can understand what Shmuel and Rav are arguing about. Rav is saying, you know, unequivocally, we don't want to have a hatzer to divide up the Pasuk. And Shmuel was saying, in extenuating circumstance, we could. Refracted Gemara, what makes it an extenuating circumstance? Because you don't have another option. But what about Rav's option, right? Who Shmuel said to divide it into two. Why did he not take the approach of Rav that the second Aliyah should repeat the last Pasuk of the first Aliyah? Says the Gemara, again, a theme that we've seen a few times now, to repeat a Pasuk. Why? Because people who might... Um, people who might come, come, come late, people will come in the middle of the Torah reading, and people who leave in the middle of the Torah reading. So in other words, if the first Aliyah was going to read the first three Psukim and stop, leaving only, seemingly, seemingly leaving only two Psukim, so people who would leave at that point, leave early, they're not going to know that the second Aliyah is going to go back and repeat the third Pasuk. They're not going to know that. They're just leaving the shul. So in their mistaken impression, they're going to take away that an aliyah could be less than two psukim, less than three psukim, because they're just going to assume that the second aliyah will just complete the two psukim of the paragraph. The same thing for someone who comes late to the shul. Somebody comes late to the shul and he sees that the second aliyah starts with Pasuk Gimel, and he reads three, four, and five. He'll assume that what was the first aliyah? One and two. So, so he'll take the wrong impression, he'll get to have the wrong impression that uh, an aliyah could be less than three psukim. So therefore, we never want to do it that way. We never want to leave room for the mistake. And that's why repeating it is not a viable solution. We ask on both of them here from the, from the following Bryce. The Bryce is talking about the general rules here of Kriya Sattar. And it says, a parasha, paragraph of six psukim, we divide and we read by two people. A paragraph that was only five psukim is read by one person. 
If the first Aliyah already read three psukim for the five pasuk paragraph, so now what? So the second Aliyah, he has to not only read the, fin- the, with the, the end two psukim for that paragraph, but he also has to read another pasuk for the next paragraph. He has to get a total of three psukim. So the Tanakhama is only concerned for the total of three psukim, but he's okay with reading just one pasuk for the next paragraph. However, Yeshomrim, that's not good enough. Why? Shlosha, you've got to read at least three psukim for the next paragraph. Meaning you'll have one pasuk for the end of the last paragraph and then another three for the beginning of the next paragraph. You can never begin a paragraph and read less than three psukim. In other words, an aliyah cannot end within the first three psukim of the paragraph. The idea is, we're going to see this a little bit more coming up. Imagine, you know, you have somebody who came late to the shul. And they see that then Aliyah, you know, just ended within the first three psukim of uh, of a paragraph. So they'll assume that the previous Aliyah was just the, the the less than three psukim from the beginning of the paragraph, and they'll have a wrong impression that Aliyah could be less than three psukim. So the Yesh Omrim, this Tana is saying that you're never allowed to end an Aliyah within the first three psukim of a paragraph. So whenever you start reading a paragraph, you have to read at least three psukim. The Tanakama it seemed was not concerned for that. The Tanakama was only concerned for the fact that you were reading a total of three psukim. So he said. And if there were two psukim left in the first paragraph, so the second aliyah should just read the last two psukim and then one more pasuk from the first paragraph. But the Yeshua Omrim, the Tana, is saying, no, this idea we mentioned before, that you cannot end an aliyah within the first three psukim of a paragraph. Anyways, this is what we see, the struggle in the price of, if there's only two psukim left in the paragraph, what to do, right? We said either, either read two psukim and one pasuk in the next paragraph or read two psukim and three psukim for the next paragraph, whatever it is. But either way, we're, one is forced to go into the next paragraph. That's for sure. Frek the Gemara, Vimisa, Rav and Shmuel are correct. Rav and Shmuel gave me ways how to make two aliyos from five psukim. Either repeat the third pasuk or divide the third pasuk in two. So according to Rav, why does the Bryson not mention that solution? of repeating the Pasuk, according to Shmuel, that one splits the Pasuk, why didn't the Bryson mention the idea of splitting the Pasuk? Meaning, if Rav and Shmuel are right, the solution that they gave for the Mamados, then why is the Bryson, which is talking generally in the laws of Kriya Svetorah, not mentioning that solution? Says the Gemara, Shani Asam, Dasher Bahachi. In the Bryson, it's possible to do it otherwise, right? In other words, in the price he was speaking in general laws of Kriya Sotara. In general laws of Kriya Sotara, there's nothing forcing you to stop at the end of the paragraph. Why not just have the next Aliyah go into the next paragraph? So that, in the general scenario of Kriya Sotara, when you're not forced to stop at a certain place, so that's going to be the rule. The rule is that if there's two Sotam left, then, um, then, 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 then you're going to have, then you're going to have, uh, then you're going to be forced to go into the next paragraph, and that will be okay. But Rav and Shmuel specifically are talking in a case where that is the whole Kriya, like by Mahmadas, where the first day, you're only, you're, the whole section is only precious when you're a Kriya. If you read more, then you're reading already tomorrow's Kriya, right? That doesn't, it's something wrong. It's off with that. So you're forced to come up with the creative solution. Or like by us, or Rosh Chodesh. You can't start, you know, randomly reading about things that have nothing to do with Rosh Chodesh. That doesn't make any sense. It's in, inappropriate to do that. So you're forced to end the Kriya at the end of the, of the Sukkim of Rosh Chodesh. And therefore, in order to make things work, we have to come up with the solution of Doleg or Poseg. Okay, so now we've defended, we've defended Rav and Shmuel, and at the same time, though, we learned an interesting thing here in the Brisa, which was Machlokes Tanoim. If when I start a paragraph, do I have to read at least three psukim? The Tanakama held, I do not necessarily have that rule. Yesh Omerim said, I do have that rule. I always have to go when I start a paragraph at least three psukim in. We pass him like the Yesh Omerim that you must always read three psukim from a new paragraph. 
Just as what we just said, Allah is like the Yishomer, that you can't start a paragraph and read less than three psukim. So too, so too, when you end an Aliyah, you can't end less, when we're leaving less than three psukim in a paragraph. So the, the, the Yishomim versus the Tanakhama, we're discussing the opposite. When I start a paragraph, can I end within the first three psukim? There we said, Allah is like Yishomim, you may not. You have to always read at least three psukim in. Now we're saying the same way you have to read at least three psukim in the beginning of a paragraph, you can't end within the first three psukim. So too, when we're talking about that at the end of a paragraph, you can't end within the last three psukim. So like the Marpshita, I mean, that's an obvious point. By the beginning of a paragraph, where the Tanakama was made, right? They said you could, in the beginning of a paragraph, you could end within the first three psukim. The Yishomim were stringent, they said you could not. And then we said, okay, the halach is like the Yishomim. So certainly, then in the case of leaving unread less than three psukim at the end of the paragraph, where even the Tanakama is masking. Everybody agrees that you're not supposed to leave less than three psukim at the end of a paragraph. Even the Tanakama agreed to that. So do we have to mention that at all? Why do we have to say, oh, by the way, the same way that you can't begin a paragraph and read less than three psukim, so too you can't leave less than three psukim unread at the end. Of course, if ma, ma in the beginning, where even the Tanakama, where, where, where the Tanakama was mekel, we said Allah is like Yeshomer. And certainly by the end of the paragraph issue, certainly you should be machmer if even the Tanakama agrees to, uh, to such a point. That's the question here of the, of the, of the Gemara. Now, there's even the Tanakama, who allows you to read less than three psukim into a paragraph, certainly, um, and he still doesn't allow you to stop within three paragraphs of the, of the, within three psukim of the paragraph's end. Now, let's just break down what the issues are so we can understand a little bit better what the Gemara is talking about. The issue is, the, the issue of the Tanakama and the Yeshomer is about a concern that somebody might come in late to Shul. If you read, <clears throat> if you read, uh, if you start a new paragraph and you read less than three psukim, then what's going to happen is somebody would come, would enter the shul at that point. What's he going to think? So he's not going to know that you read some from the previous paragraph. He'll assume that the, the last aliyah was just read was less than three psukim from the beginning of this paragraph. So that's the machlok of Tanakam and Yeshomim. The Tanakam is not concerned for someone coming late, and the Yeshomim is concerned for somebody coming late. What about the opposite issue? The opposite issue is when I end within three psukim, with, and, I, and I have at the end of a paragraph, I leave less than three psukim remaining. So there, the issue is somebody who might leave shul early, that, that he's going to see there's less than a couple, less than three psukim at the end of the paragraph. So if you leave shul early, he's going to assume that, that you could read less than three psukim. So what the Gemara is saying is everybody agrees that's an issue, that somebody might leave shul early and assume there's less than three psukim per aliyah. That's for sure, even the Tanakhama agrees. The Machlokas is the opposite concern. If I, could, if I could read less than three psukim into a new paragraph, meaning I'm my concern for someone who might come late to the shul. So it seems that, that everybody agrees that there's an issue of so, that we're concerned someone might leave early. The dispute is only, are we concerned that somebody might come late? That's the way the Gemara is presenting it. So we don't understand why we had to say that, if that once we said that Allah is like the Yishomrim, we don't have to point out that you're not allowed to leave less than three psukim at the end of the paragraph. So the Gemara explains, no, we do have to say it. You might have said somebody coming late. That's shriach. So to say somebody might walk in late to shul, that makes sense. Somebody might come in and, and, and you ended less than three psukim into a new aliyah and they might assume an aliyah could be less than three psukim. That's shriach. Look, people come late to shul. But yoytzin lo shriachi. It's not normal for someone to leave shul early. Because then they would be leaving the Sefer Torah. And you know the Gemara and Sveita, everything is like a whole curse to somebody who leaves Kriyas Torah in the middle. It's like a very scary thing. It's not a common thing. So maybe over there, 
Maybe over there we're not concerned. So maybe Davka to start an Aliyah and only read less than three Pesukim into the new paragraph. There we could, we could say there's a concern because that's a concern for somebody coming late to Shul. But, the, but, 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 but to read a paragraph and stop within three Pesukim and the end of the paragraph, there's no concern. There's no concern because, because who's going to leave Shul in the middle? Who's going to leave, who's going to leave early? Kamash Malan, no, Lamaisa. We are in fact concerned for that as well. And we say you can't read, uh, you can't leave less than three Pesukim to the end, to the end of the paragraph. Okay, now Igmar tries to understand the Tanakama a little bit better. Again, the Tanakama agreed you can't leave less than three psukim at the end of the paragraph. But he's matter you to read less than three psukim into a new paragraph. Tanakama, my Why did he say that you can't leave over less than three psukim unread from the paragraph? Because he is concerned for people who are leaving. So why is he not concerned for the people coming late to Shul? Says People who come late will ask. So that was a very yisaidistic point from the Tanakhama. If you come late to Shul and you see that, you know, they, 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 the last aliyah ended within three psukim at the beginning of the paragraph, and you're like, hey, aren't you supposed to read three psukim? So what, what are you going to do? You're in Shul, so you're going to ask somebody. So therefore, there's no concern. Masha'enk in the other way, when you leave Shul and there's less than three psukim left in the paragraph, you left, right? That's the whole point. You're on your way out. You're leaving. So you're not going to ask somebody on your way out. So that was the Tanakama's rationale. That's why he agrees you can't leave three psukim left at the end of the paragraph because the guy's going to walk out the door and get the wrong impression. But to read three psukim, less than three psukim, into the new paragraph, he's not concerned for the guy coming late. The guy coming late will ask around. Mashiach in the Yishomrim, he was also concerned, as we said, we possibly like the Yishomrim. Shalach lay. What is the halacha? When the one wants to know what's the halacha, we know we always pass like Yishomrim. We want to know what to do by, by the Mahmadas. <coughs> that case, and by... And by um, Rosh Chodesh as well, what do we do? Like Rav or Shmuel. So Shalach Lei, Hilchaz Adolei. We paskin like Rav, that the, that the second Aliyah repeats the, the, the third Pasuk. I'm sorry, Dolgan. And that's exactly what we do by Kriyas Torah, Rosh Chodesh, right? Next time you know, if you my Tal Lahem, that Pasuk, right? We go repeat. And that third pasuk, via martalahem, is the is the concluding pasuk of the first aliyah, and then the second aliyah goes back to vamartalahem, and he reads from there um, as well. Says the Gemara, any day where there is a musaf. Says the Gemara Yibaylu, Tainus Tzibur Bekama. How many aliyos are there on a Tainus Tzibur? So now the Mishnah didn't really say. The Mishnah said. On Rosh Chodesh and on Chol HaMoed, there are four aliyahs. What about on a public fast day? Remember, a public fast day, just to understand a little bit better, we had a tightness, right? It doesn't rain. We have to institute public fasting, so on and so forth. So the Gemara tells us this stuff. Rosh Chodesh and Moed, the carbon Mosav. Maybe it's only Rosh Chodesh and Chol HaMoed, but there's an extra carbon Mosav. So it's a unique facet of the day that there's a special carbon Mosav. So there are bar. There you should have four aliyahs. Here on a public fast day, there's no special carbon Mosav. So low. You don't have to have four aliyahs, but only three. Maybe it's not such a special day. There is an extra tefillah. What's the extra tefillah? We have aninu. Special tefillah, the addition of aninu. So the Gemara is saying, there's a unique specialty to the day. There's an added tefillah, an added brachot So maybe that warrants to, to reflect on the special nature of the day that we should have a, a fourth aliyah. So the Mishra said when there's a musaf. So does musaf mean an extra karvan? Or maybe you could refer as well to an extra bracha. That's essentially the Gemara's question. So, and the practical difference is, on a public fast day, is there a fourth aliyah? So the Gemara says, well, the Mishra didn't say that. Tashem said, you read four. So we can imply, on a public fast day, which is not listed in the Mishnah, 
Presumably, only three people are there. Says the Gemara What about the beginning of the Mishnah? We said Monday, Thursday, and on Shabbos, there are three. That implies that time to see where We didn't last the time to see If we didn't list the time to see where the implication is, that's different. It's four. Clearly, we can't learn anything from the Mishnah. In other words, the Mishnah just didn't discuss it. So if the Mishnah didn't discuss it, there's uh, opposite implications. We don't know what to do. So the Gemara says, Tashma, let's bring a proof to Rav, equal to the bubble of time to see The Gemara tells us a story. Rav once went to a city in Babel. Um, <clears throat> he once went to a city in Babel on a public fasting. Two things happened. First of all, he got up and he read for the, from the Torah. First of all, he said the bracha before, but when he concluded, he didn't make a bracha. So he said, but he didn't say, we'll have to see Pshan in that. And other things that when everyone else did, Rav did not fall on his face. Right? Everyone used to fall on their faces, prostrate, you know, on some level, bow down by saying Tachnun. Rav did not. So first we're going to analyze the first thing. Rav read from the Sefer Torah, he made Asher Baruch Abanu, but not Asher Nasan Lodah Torah Samas. Michti, Rav Yisrael Kro. Rav must have read <coughs> the third portion. The Gemara tells us a fact. Rav is not a Kohen, he's not a Levi. So you read the third Aliyah. Why did he finish the reading and not say a bracha afterwards? Must be because there was a fourth Aliyah. And Rav wasn't the end of Aliyah. And remember, we learned in the Mishnah, not like we do today, but we learned in the Mishnah that the Asher, the concluding bracha is made only when after the fourth Aliyah, after the end of all the Aliyahs. So it must be that there was a fourth Aliyah on the tiny seaboard. And that's why Rav did not, did not make a concluding bracha. Die, what's the kasha? And why would you say Asher Bacharbanu? Right? If Rav's not saying Asher Nasan Lanu because he's not the end of the Aliyah, there's a fourth Aliyah. So didn't we learn in the mission that Asher Bacharbanu was only said by the first Ola? Right? So the Gemara will address that. So the Gemara is bringing proof. Must be that there's a fourth Aliyah. Says the Gemara, Lo Kahani Kara. Rav, was, even though he wasn't a Kohen, he was reading the portion of the Kohen. He was the first Ola. That's why he said Asher Bacharbanu, but Asher Nasan Lanu. And what's the proof? How could he read from the Kohen portion if he's not a Kohen? Ravuna would read the Kohen's portion even though he wasn't a Kohen. What's the idea? The most respected person in the room can, can, can transcend the Kohuna, right? So in other words, he beats the Kohen out. He's more respected. Very interesting thing. Really, Maker Adin, Kohanim aren't supposed to wave their right for great Tamil Chachamim because it could lead to fighting. But for, you know, the, the Gadol Adar, the Gemara is saying it's not going to lead to fighting and that's okay. So Rav is the Gadol Adar, whatever it was, and he was doing it from there. Zok the Gemara is not a good comparison. Even Rav Ami and Rav Asi were the most Chashva Kohanim in Eretz Ravuna. They were subservient to Ravuna. Ravuna was like above all, so therefore he was more respected than the Kohanim. He could do it. Ella Rav, what about Rav? How could Rav do it? What about Shmuel? Shmuel was a Kohen who lived in Babel, and he actually used to be above Rav. Rav used to give cover to Shmuel. So it doesn't make sense to say that Rav got the Kohen portion if he wasn't a Kohen because he wasn't more, more Chashuv than the Kohenim in the region. So the Gemara explains, no, Shmuel kavu 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 Rav. Really, Shmuel was also subservient to Rav. Really, Rav is greater than Shmuel. Rav would have a So sometimes Rav would, 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 would be nice and give kavu to Shmuel. When we do that, in front of Shmuel, if Shmuel wasn't around, he wouldn't give him the special kavu. So it wasn't strange for Rav to get the coin Aliyah, even though he wasn't a coin. The Maisa, he was the greatest person in Babel as well. Says the Gemara. So what are we coming out? There's no proof that there was a fourth Aliyah because it could be Rav was getting the first Aliyah. Says the Gemara. It's actually more reasonable he was reading the coins portion. If he was reading the third Aliyah, why would he break a Barach of Asher Bachabanu before? The Mishnah says only the first Ola does that. It must be that he was reading the coins portion. 
Says the Gemara, no, la'achar takana. No, it's going la'achar takana. After takana, each aliyah makes a bracha of asher bracha banu. Frek the Gemara, if every aliyah, if we're going la'achar takana, then that's why he made asher bracha banu at the third aliyah. Then he should have said asher nasa and after his aliyah as well. Meaning, manashach. If we're going la'achar the takana, and that's why he made asher bracha banu after the beginning of the third aliyah, then he should make asher nasa and after the third aliyah as well, even if there's going to be a fourth aliyah. Says the Gemara, it's different when Rav is present. Because people might come late. So there was, a, there was a need for Rav to say the beginning bracha so that if somebody would come late, you wouldn't think that you don't need Asher Bachar, Asher Bachar Banu, but Mefik Lo Nafik. Nobody's ever going to leave early. They were totally in fear of Rav, like nobody's going to leave his Kriya Satara. So meaning, what was the reason why uh, the Takana to say Asher Bachar Banu and Asher Nasan after each Aliyah? Because of people who come late and people who leave early. So Rav was going Lachar Takana. That's why he said Asher Bachar Banu even though it was the third Aliyah in case somebody came late. But he didn't have to say Asher Nasan after the third Aliyah because no one was going to leave before the first, before fourth Aliyah. It's in front of Rav, you're not going to get up and leave the room. Rav is like the God of Adar. So there's no way that you're going to leave early in the presence of Rav. That's why, since there was a fourth Aliyah, he didn't have to say Asher Nasan Banu. So it's very interesting. We have a story. Rav read, he said Asher Bacha Banu, he didn't say Asher Nasan Banu. Does that prove that there are four Aliyahs on a fast day or not? We have two different interpretations. There's no proof. It could be he read the first Aliyah. It's going before the Takana that each Aliyah has Asher Bacha and Asher Nasan Lanu. He said Asher Bacha Banu to open up the Aliyahs. He didn't say Asher Nasan Lanu because there were still more Aliyahs. It's going before the Takana. He was reading Kohen portion because he was most clash of a person. It could also be that there were four Aliyahs. He got the third Aliyah. He said Asher Bacha Banu because we're going to the Takana that we're concerned that people might leave early and come late. He said Asher Bachar Banu in the third Aliyah. He didn't say Asher Nasan Lanu because it was going to be a fourth Aliyah and there was no concern somebody was going to leave early because it was in the presence of Rav. So the bottom line is we have no proof about whether or not a Tainan Sibur has three Aliyahs or four Aliyahs. Says the Gemara Tashima, Zach Klau. After saying the, the, the specifics, the Mishnah made a rule. Any day where there's a bit of malacha, there's a loss of work to the people, meaning... There's a day when there's going to be a terchah that if we make too many aliyahs, go on time to Sibur for Tishabav, like a public fast and Tishabav. Koran Gimel, there's only three aliyahs. So in Tishabav, Work be'etzem is mutter, and a tiny zebra again, but work be'etzem is mutter, so there's only three aliyahs. If there's no loss of working, if there's not so much a loss of work by keeping people a little bit later, like then we have four. We clearly see that there's only three people called on a public fasting. Now, one very important thing. It says here something we didn't see in the Mishnah. It says that on a tiny zebra, I'm sorry, on a Rosh Chodesh, and it says we have a fourth aliyah because there's not bitum alach what does that mean? So what did we learn in the Mishnah? We learned in the Mishnah you can't make Hosafos on Rosh Chodesh and Cholomoyed. Why? Why can't you make more than four? Because of Betta Malach Why is it Betta Malach Because Lamaisa Malach is Mutter. You're allowed to work on Cholomoyed and Rosh Chodesh. So we're like having our cake and eating it too. On the one hand, what are we saying? People work on Rosh Chodesh. You can't add on more than four aliyahs. On the other hand, people don't work. And that's why you have four aliyahs more than three aliyahs. So what's going on? So the idea is that there, there, it's not as many people who are working. That's the idea. There's work, but it's less work. Or there's still idea, but at some people shouldn't be working. It's like, you know, we're more sensitive, that, somewhat sensitive, but not totally sensitive. Rashi here brings the famous idea that women don't work. Rashi brings the famous idea. We know that Rosh Chodesh originally was supposed to be a full-fledged yontif, but after the Egel, uh, we were punished and it was taken away. But the women who weren't part of the Egel, so they didn't, 
lose their special connection to Rosh Chodesh. That's why the Midrash developed that women don't work on Rosh Chodesh. It's like a women's holiday, so to speak. We still have this. Anyways, it's very interesting. Rosh Chodesh is still somewhat of Yantav, somewhat not. Malacha is mutter, so we don't add on more than four, but we could still tolerate a fourth Aliyah. At any rate, after all is said and done, we see from the bride that there's only three Aliyahs on the Tanya Sibor. So, the mission didn't sound like that. This is the rule. Any day, but there's an addition. But it's not a Yantav, there's four Aliyahs. So, after it already said Rosh Chodesh and and Cholamoid, then it makes a rule out of it. The rule is if there's an idea, there's an addition, but there's no, but it's not a yant if there's four aliyos. What are you coming to add with the rule? What's the rule coming to include? It must be coming to add Tainas Sibar and Tishabav, where there's an additional Aninu, and the Mishnah is coming to say there's four aliyos. So if a Kasha, very nice, you see in the price there's only three, but the Mishnah just seemed to say that there's four. Says the Gemara, Ravashi must need Mani, but Stam, think about it. We're going to disprove Ravashi. Look at what the Ravashi Stam is. It doesn't make sense because who would the Mishnah be? It's not the Kanakam Reviews. The Tani we bring another price. If Tishabav is a Monday or Thursday, Koran Gimel, three people are called to read from the Torah, and one of them, the last Ola, concludes with Haftorah. Interesting thing. On Tishabav, there's a Haftorah, right? You know? There's a Haftar of a Tishbub morning. So, there, so you have three Aliyos, if it's Monday or Thursday, and Haftar. But Shishu Revi, if it's a Tuesday or Wednesday, where ordinarily there wouldn't be a Kriya Satara, then one person reads from the Torah, and that person concludes with Haftar. No matter what day of the week Tishbub is, there's always three Aliyos and a Haftar. So bottom line is, everybody agrees. Look at this. Everybody agrees on a Tishbub, there's only three Aliyos. Rabbi Asi is trying to infer from the mission that four people are read. It's just clearly, it is just clearly against the Braisa. Let me just ask you a small kasha before we continue. Tisha of morning, how many aliyos do we have? We have three, and Lamaisa we have Haftarah. I don't understand something. We, on Tisha B'Av, why, why in the world would there be Haftarah? What's the, we always say there's no Haftarah when there's Bittu Malach Evidently, what are you going to say? Enough people don't work on Tisha B'Av that there's not Bittu Malach right? We sit in kinos for hours. Yeah, I'm sure. So I'm a, I have a kasha. Then why is there no, why is there no Haftarah in Rosh Chodesh? How could it be? Man Rosh Chodesh, Chodesh where we said there could be four because there's less but we still said there's no Haftarah because evidently there's still enough work to do that there can't be Haftarah. So on Tishabav, how could there be Haftarah? What's the difference? What's the difference between Tishabav, where there is Haftarah, and Rishkodesh, where there's none? Hard to understand a little bit, huh? Okay, anyways, getting back. If we reject what Ravashi said, so what do we do with the Zach Lau? In other words, we reject Ravashi. What are we coming out? We're coming out, the, how many Aliyos do we have on the Tainasi? We're only, and Tishabav, only three. So what's talking with the Zach Lau? The Mishnah made a whole rule. What's, what the, what, what's the rule coming to include? We're just coming to include the basic Rosh Chodesh and Cholamoy that it's a day of four aliyos. We don't have to include them. That's what the, that it already said. Those days were explicitly said in the mission. There's four. Why does we need a general rule to include something that was already said? So basically, we're going in circles. On the one hand, we know Rosh Chodesh and Cholamoy have four. Then the mission said there's a rule. Whenever there's an additional thing, you have four. We know the rule is not referencing Tisha B'Av and Atanis. So what is it referencing? What is the point of it? Says the Gemara, Simana ba'alma yav. The Mishnah is just giving you a way to remember it. It's not including more days when there's four aliyos. It's just giving you a way of remembering something. Don't tell me yantiv and cholamoid are identical. It's all part of the same yantiv. Then we sh- they shouldn't be treated differently. Rather, you should remember this rule. Any day that has something more than another day has an extra aliyah. To show the specialty of the day, there's an extra aliyah. 
there's an extra carbon mosa, four people are read to the Torah. Ordinarily, there's only three aliyos in Meshach Ramad, which have something extra, some extra feature. So then you read four aliyos. to do any work except that the punishment is not as severe. If you do work on Yantif, what are you chayev? Not the death penalty or anything. It's only lashes and you're allowed to cook. So on Yantif, it's only five aliyahs. So if you remember the Anish Karis on Yom Kippur, where's more chamer? If you do malach on Yom Kippur, there's a Karis penalty. So shisha, so there's an extra aliyah. Shabbos, there's kila on Shabbos, but it's even more chamer. Somebody who violates Shabbos is an iser. Uh, there's a, a more chamer punishment of stoning, shiva. So then there are seven aliyah. So the mission which is giving you a way of remembering the idea. Whenever you go up a little bit, because there's an additional common Mosav, it's an extra feature, that's why there's four aliyos. And then now you'll know when you understand the concept that on Yantif, where there's an additional feature that is also doing any malacha, but then there's going to be a fifth aliyah. So bottom line is, we come out very conclusively that Tainas, Sibor, and, and Tishabov only have three aliyos. Okay. Zok the Gemara. Gufa. Uh, by the way, I think I know the answer to my question about the Haftorah. I think this, the din of Haftorah, I'm, I'm remembering something, I'm realizing something, that I think the din of Haftorah is midina ha-tainis. In other words, that's tam, it's halacha midin tainis, that you need to have a Haftorah to figure out exactly why that makes sense. But in other words, it's not just the regular rules of what we're looking to do in a Kriya Torah. Where, where, or, if it makes sense, if it doesn't disrupt anything, we'll have Haftorah. I think it's a specific law in the din of the tainis that it requires Haftorah. Says the Gemara Gufa. Rav happened to be above a Sifra. What happened? You read from the Torah Pasach Barach Remember, he had Asher Barach before his Aliyah. He didn't have Asher Nasanlanu. Remember, we had that whole mess. Was it Kohen Aliyah? Before the Takana, was it the third? The third Aliyah, Lachas Takana, but no one would dare leave. Okay, we settled that. But now let's focus on the second thing. A little Sugi of Tachnun here. Everyone else fell, on their, fell to the ground. To their face to say Tachno and Rav did not. So we have to remember today when we say Tachno, you know, we barely put our head on our on the arm a little bit. Back in the day, Tachno was a bigger like a sense of bowing and it was full out on the ground. Just to give a little bit of a flavor of Tachno to understand this, Tachno is to make oneself vulnerable to God. The whole idea is you've davened every single last thing. You daven Shmona Esrei, you still feel unfulfilled, so to speak, unheard. And the idea is you fully like submissive in front of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, prostrate yourself out on the ground. That's the idea of Tachnun. That's why there's not supposed to be any hafsik between the Shmona Esrei and Tachnun. No talking, this and that. Tachnun is direct from the Shmona Esrei. It's the ultimate submissive stance in front of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. So what happens? Rav didn't do it. So my time alone, Rav Why didn't he do it? The floor was made of stone. Betanya says in a brayso. It says, don't have a stone covering that you should put in your land to bow on it. So what's the Torah talking about? The Torah Pashup Shah was talking about some sort of like, I don't know, some sort of Avodazar. But really we dash in that it's saying, no, even if you're not bowing to Avodazar, you can't bow on a stone place. So the implication is, in your land, you can't bow on stones. It says don't do it in your land, but you're allowed to do it on the stones of the base of Mikdash. The stones of the base of Mikdash, even though it's stone, you're allowed to bow. The Torah is saying, outside of the base of Mikdash, you can't bow on the stone. What's the Indian? Very interesting halacha. That in a, the place where you're like the deepest connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, there even on the stones it's permitted to bow. But if it's any other place that's not in the base of Mikdash, one is not allowed to prostrate, not allowed to be totally submissive on a stone floor. Nothing to do with the laws of Avodazar. You're not allowed to totally prostrate oneself, not allowed to totally bow on stones outside of the base of Mikdash. It's only also a floor of stone. Um, the idea is don't bow in front of, uh, um, the idea is not to bow in front of Hashem on a stone floor. 
um, and that iser is outside of the base of Mikdash, specifically on a floor of stones, nothing to do with Avodazar. Okay, so Rav didn't do it because it was stone. Frechtigmar, the obvious question, Yihachi, Ma'ir Rav. So why is it that only Rav didn't bow? Avilagunami, no one should have bowed, right? How did anyone else bow? The stone was only in front of Rav. Everyone else had like whatever, a different material. But Rav had stones. Rav should have gone to where the tzibur was, where this was in stone, and he should have um, bowed. So the tzibur. He didn't want to be tarech the tzibur. Why? Because if he would have walked past them, they would have required them to, you know, stand up for Rav, right? So he didn't want to inconvenience the tzibur. So therefore, he just didn't do the whole thing. Another answer, everybody else, they just did a little bit of a bow. But Rav, he like Mamish laid himself out, bowing with his arms and his legs extended when he did Tachnon. And since it was a full out prostration, he had the Isser to bow on the stone. But everybody else who didn't do a full out prostration, they didn't have the Isser. The Torah didn't Asser stop bowing on stone. The Torah answered only the full out extension of the arms and the legs. When it's like the full, Rav's Mahalachim saying Tachon, he would do so that way. But everybody else did not. So very Gishmak. So the Gemara is saying that, um, that, that only Rav had the Isser, but no one else had the Isser. Frank the Gemara, the obvious question. So why totally skip Tachon? Why didn't Rav do a partial prostration, which would he be allowed to do on the stone? And then he would be allowed to do it. So the Torah He didn't want to deviate from his usual practice. Interesting idea. If you're stuck with the predicament, Rav's minogin tachnon was to do a full prostration. He couldn't do it because it was stone. He could either do a partial one or do nothing at all. He did nothing at all. His usual minogin was a full-out prostration. So tomorrow he buys him. Another reason he didn't do fall on his face because Adam Chashem Shani Stam, a new Yisoyed where Rav didn't do tachnon. Nothing to do with the stone, but a new Yisoyed. If you're a very chashva person, you're not allowed to say tachan and fall on your face in front of other people unless you're totally confident that you're going to be answered. Why? What's the idea? It's going to be embarrassment. There's going to be a chil Hashem. Because, again, what's the Yisoyed of Tachlan? Yisoyed of Tachlan is the ultimate act of submissiveness in front of the Eivishtah. If a great person lays himself out, he extends his hands and feet, he does the whole nine yards, and he's not answered, it's mamash be zayin of chil Hashem. Look, the Abishta doesn't doesn't care about the, about the greatest person. And that, who was the person who did do it and was answered? Yeshua Benin, like Yeshua Benin, this very much on part of Kumlech. I said to him, get up. So basically, we see that it's not a good idea to do a full out tachron b'tzibur unless you know you're going to be answered. So that's the pshat. Rav was not allowed to do it. Rav was going to do a full out tachron. He's not allowed to do that in front of the tzibur. Says the Gemara a little bit more here. Tana Rabbanon. There are different types of bowing. Kida, the word Kida alpai means falling in your face because Shnayim Avatikol Bashav alpai merit. Kriya alberkayim. Kriya means getting down on one's knees. V'chenu amar mechroa alberkov. Hishtachavva. The term of hishtachavva is upishur ma'aglami means to extend one hands and 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 legs. Shnayim ha'avonavon yivimachol hishtachavos lacha artsa. So that's the full out prostration artsa. Okay. Says the Gemara. Levi achay kida chamei Rebbe v'idla. Levi once did a kida. Well, Kida just put it in your face. He once did it in front of Rebbe, and, and he was trying to bow. He was trying to bow for, um, for Daven for rain, and he became lame from it. So you might remember this from Masechus Tainus. Levi became lame from bowing. When it was the act of bowing that became lame, remember the, the Gemara person should never be brazen when he complains to Hashem. Remember this from Masechus Tainus. He complained to the Abish. He said, how could you not take care of your children? You're up there in Shemayim, you're abandoning your children, not bringing the rain. So he went lame from his words. Says the Both caused him, meaning he said the words and then he did the bow and that's what caused him to be rain. Just to be careful, I'm sorry, I think I said something wrong. What happened was it was at a Simchas Beis Shoeva when he bowed and he did like a push-up or so, some sorts in front of 
in front of uh, Rabbi, and that's how he became lame. But the Gemara is saying the background was first he was praised in his complaint in front of Akadosh Baruch, and then, and then when he did the kida, he would got punished. Says the Gemara, they just leaned on their side a little bit when they say Tachlan. They didn't fall on their face at all. They were Chashva people. So leaning on their sides was totally mutter for them. And totally today, what do we do? We just put our heads a little bit on our arm. So today, even Chashva people can say Tachnun. That's the point of the Gemara. The whole idea that Chashva people don't say Tachnun is only to do a real Tachnun, where that's laying yourself out. And we even hear it in the language. You lay yourself out, right, in front of somebody. What does that mean? You make yourself vulnerable, right? You get exposed. So that's the idea of Tachnun. And uh, that's something which generally a great person shouldn't do, Barabim. But we're saying where it's only today, you know, a little more emotion like this, and putting your head over there, so then it's not a big deal to do it.